Hello and welcome to episode 312 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the writer Joe Barton. He's really famous for one of my favourite horrors of the last 10 years. I absolutely adore the film The Ritual, so when the opportunity came up to get Joe on the podcast, it was an easy no-brainer. He's an amazing writer and has such an incredible future ahead of him. On today's episode, obviously we talk all about The Ritual, but we mainly focus on The Lazarus Project. Series 2 is out right now as you're listening to this on Sky, and it's amazing. I had never seen it before. The opportunity came up for me to interview Joe, so I sat down and watched all of season one and all of season two. And honestly, I absolutely loved it. The characters, the special effects, the writing, the editing. It's brilliant and kept me completely captivated. So I can't wait to share this interview in just a couple of minutes time with me and Joe. But in true typical Mark and me fashion, and you should know the score by now, On every episode, I always use the introduction to talk about my last episode. It was only 48 hours ago that it came out. It was Gary Stringer, the singer of one of my favourite bands, Reef. What an amazing band, what a trip down nostalgia lane, and it was just so good. Even though the episode has only been out a couple of days, the response has been amazing. It's so good to see all the people that have grown up listening to Reef, getting into this, listening to the interview, kind of having reminiscence of maybe early gigs or festivals and seeing all these comments and feedback I get is amazing so thank you so much. But today it's all about Joe and he's an amazing writer and someone that I think you're going to absolutely love. It's a short and snappy interview but I think we get a lot from the time we're given so I want to get straight to it now for all of you guys at home. Here's the interview now with me and Joe talking all things writing. So Joe thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for having me. Joe, what I love to do with all guests that come on the podcast is take it right back to the very start of your career. Um, Maybe as a kid when you were growing up, what was that first film or TV show that you remember watching that made you fall in love with film? Uh, Oh, wow. Um, I was really into... Do you know what it was? I I watched uh, a lot of... I mean, I was like a lot of Spielberg films as a kid, as everyone does. Me too. Uh, yeah, right. Have you heard of him? Yeah. He's great. Um, and, but he, uh, there was a, um, I borrowed the Indiana Jones trilogy from my cousin and it had a, um, uh, a making of in it. And, um, it was the first time I'd seen, so I obviously watched the movies and loved them, but then there was also this sort of making of documentary and it was the first time I'd seen like behind the scenes of how something gets made. And it was a real sort of, um, opening sort of thing it was the you know the first time I sort of saw that like even just like oh they film it out of you know sync and you know they don't you know you don't film it in order and there's like a whole camera crew there and that's how you know it's 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 not just a uh this story that you've been told you kind of see the the process and the um the the mechanism behind it I found it just really fascinating and it was so that was a really big thing for me about getting interested in actually making stuff I did the exact same thing with the Goonies and I was amazed by all the practical effects yeah. and but kind of seeing how the magic's made and um, I miss that. Even though I love 4K and Blu-rays, I don't sometimes think now you get as much incredible special features and it's quite frustrating because I used to sit for hours watching all the making of for stuff like 
um, Gremlins, Goonies, yeah. all these sort of 80s films. So uh, I'm glad it's not just me that used to sit and watch them to death. I lo- yeah, I loved them. Do like the Lord of the Rings ones as well. Used to oh like, my God. Yeah, they're that- absolutely mind-blowing, especially for anyone that wants to get into filmmaking. That's like the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the extended edition. Yeah, it's, it was amazing. Yeah, I loved all that stuff. You, yeah, you don't really get them. You, I mean... You Not really, as much. Don't really buy DVDs anymore and things. <laughs> that's that's why. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was wondering how you kind of got down the path of becoming a screenwriter. I mean, when you were growing up, was it something you sort of discussed with your parents and then wanted to do that in your education, or was it a bit later on? <laughs> I sat my mum and dad down. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> "Yes, I want to be a screenwriter." Take a deep breath. Yeah. Listen, I've got some bad news. Um, no, I, I, um, I, yeah. Well, I always, I always wanted to make stuff, and and. I I wanted to be a I mean initially I wanted to be a film director probably from probably from watching Steven Spielberg at work and um I I did so you know I used to make little films in you know with my friends and they'd make little war movies and and run around sort of local woods with plastic guns and and stuff so I was always always making stuff and then I did you know I did a sort of film and media A levels and you know carried on sort of making things and then and then I I did a uh, f- a film degree at, at uni and uh, I, I again at that point I, I was sort of interested in being a director that was the kind of aim and when I when I graduated university I didn't really have a great sense of how to go about doing that or or like you know I didn't have a I, well, I didn't have any money <laughs> and I didn't have a camera I didn't have actors and stuff and it, it seemed like this slightly um uh, this sort of mountain that it was that I just couldn't see a way of, of climbing it but but writing was this immediate thing that I could just do I you know I could just sit down and 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 start um and start writing and and uh, you know in my head I was like well conceivably you have all the tools that you need all you have to do is is kind of learn how to do it and and write something and, and send it out to the world and maybe that will be you know your way in I sort of oddly used um Richard Curtis was like my I was like oh that guy was a writer and now he's now he's a director and like love actually has just come out so I was like oh he's done it like I could do that so that was sort of my um that was the, that was my plan, but then at, at some point, the, the, you know, the, I just really loved writing, and and it became it stopped being a means to an, you know to, to 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 being something else, to being a director or something else. It just I sort of liked it for what it was, and so I just sort of stuck stuck with that, and 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 you know, yeah, carried on with that. I mean, you've had an amazing writing career already, and I know you've got a long journey ahead of you. But I'm not just saying this because I'm speaking to you now. But the ritual was one of my favorite horrors in the last twenty years. That and sort of dog soldiers and the descent but that film just came out of nowhere and blew my mind and for the budget and the writing and the kind of creature creation it really really still stands its test of time now even sort of 10 years later i think it's an absolute masterpiece oh thanks very much man i appreciate it no i was proud of that one that was um uh yeah my I, my eldest son just watched that for the first time the other day actually <laughs> he was like didn't, he wasn't actually that scared of it but I was like, um but yeah no I, I i loved doing that one that was uh uh yeah we sort of did that with andy circus's company and it was a book adaptation and that was that's always like a quite interesting process to do but um yeah people that i've done a few films but that is definitely that's the one that that's the one that people like <laughs> I mean, with your films, obviously, The Ritual, Encounter, My Days of Mercy, to do a film on set, obviously, but beforehand, do the writing and screenplay, etc. Do you find it such a different process to then go into something that's a long, so many episodes TV season? Do you find it such a different challenge or do you just take the same approach when writing both? 
Well, I, yeah, the I mean the write the actual writing process is 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 similar. Um, obviously, it's yeah shorter, it's more truncated, and you're you're telling a self-contained story um, within it, and there are different challenges. I, you know, the experience of working in films is really really different to TV as a, as a writer anyway. Just the sort of role and and your level of responsibility. You know, in in telly, you're uh, quite often a, a, an executive producer as well, and you're you're involved in all sorts of elements from from casting and hiring heads of department and editing, and and you know you have thoughts and you know feeding notes to to you know everything from the soundtrack to the costume design. It's a, a much more sort of hands on experience, whereas film is uh, generally you you're just there and you you know you do your drafts and then you're sort of in and out. So you're, you, you have a, a limited amount of time to get across your ideas and, and it, it's, there is more of a sense of you, you know, you write your script and you hand it over and hope that, um, I hope that, but like you sort of, okay, well, this is what I've given you and, and I'm going to see what you do with it. And, and I, I, you're then not, not as involved in the process. So um, that, that's, for me, that's the biggest difference is just your level of, of um, uh, involvement in, in the process. But yeah, you know, it, it's, 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 it, 90 pages versus I mean I don't know how long last like eight hours or something so yeah there's a there's a difference and how was it obviously today we're talking about Lazarus Project season two but how was it that the actual project came to you um to start with for season one was it something that you'd um been working on for a while that got greenlit or was it something that just came about that you weren't aware of I mean how does it all start as a process for the listeners out there uh, well, with the Lazarus project, it was um, a spec script, which, which is just, yeah. which is you know, when you write, a, you just write something for yourself. No one's paying you to do it, or <laughs> no one's asked you to do it. Um, but so yeah, I wrote. Or did I even? Do you know what? It was a very long time ago. It was like sort of seven years ago. I think it came up with the idea. I think I did. I must have written the first episode, and and then the process is, you know, you sort of send it out, you give it to your agent or whatever, and they send it out to places. And it was at a couple of different. Um, production companies were looking at it. Um, Urban Myth is the company that eventually bought it. I think Left Bank could do the crown and that sort of thing. We're also looking at it. There was a bit of a, who's going to have it. Um, but yeah, went with Urban Myth and then, you, you know, the process is then trying to get it commissioned. Um, and Sky came in very early. Uh, and, and then you, then you're in a sort of a process of just developing it and, and trying to get, trying to get a green light. But um, yeah, it sort of just, it was just an idea I'd had um, that I thought, you know, had potential, but you, you know, part of the job is obviously coming up with lots of different ideas. I mean, there's different, I mean, obviously, you know, something like the ritual is a, is a book. So you know, occasionally you'll get a book sent to you or you'll have like producers and agents are always sending you things, you know, they'll send you like a short story or a magazine article or a podcast or like a tweet that someone's done or something, you know what I mean? Or a picture. Um, yeah. And they're like, Oh, could you turn this into a, you know, nine series franchise or sorry yeah. like maybe just this one picture text like, message yeah. yeah literally literally they're desperate no but it that is the thing but no Lazarus was a a concept uh, that I come up with and then and then a script that sort of got sent out and, and made through that and were you blown away by the response the fact that it's got so many five-star ratings the reviews were all glowing I've been lucky enough to see all of season one and now obviously we're going to talk about season two but for me it felt like heroes a little bit it had that grounded sci-fi element but also a very human story at its core and I think um, there's not been anything else like it since and I think to come and give us this it's been so successful but the fact you've now had that second season greenlit in a world where 
every week I literally go on the internet and see how Netflix aren't renewing a season or some of your favourite TV gets cancelled. It must be a huge pat on the back to see that season two is now out there. Yeah, it's lovely, man. Yeah, it's it, it it's great. Yeah, it it is it, getting stuff recommissioned is is uh, a challenge. And I've you know I've I've had a couple of shows that got got cut off after the first series, and it's always difficult. You know, it's always a disappointment. Um, so you know, we were deli- delighted that we, I mean, not you know, we left the first series on a big cliffhanger as well. So it would have just been really irritating <laughs> for everyone. But that still happens. Like Hannibal season three, that got cancelled, and right. like, still we're still waiting for that fight to find out what happens. And I know we've got some source material with you know uh, science alarms and stuff, but it's still these shows do get stopped even on the biggest cliffhanger. So it wouldn't have surprised me. But the fact that we're here today, and we've got season two. Is huge. I think that's a victory in itself. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it felt. It felt. I, I mean, you, yeah. Relief is the is is the main. Yeah. Fe- is the main feeling that you have, um, and then and then panic because you have to come up with ideas for a second series, which is a really interesting actually. Because having not done it, I'd worked on second series before, but not of my own thing. And it's a it's a just an interesting creative challenge of of sort of continuation and uh you know uh, ev- evolution and all of these things um but yeah the, the the tv landscape is it's it's a it's in a funny place at the, uh, you know for the last couple of years i think it's on slightly shifting sounds so any kind of success you can get or en- putting anything out there that people watch is is uh, it, it, uh, it's good <laughs> it's good uh, and laying the foundations of season 1 and then obviously having green lit uh, season 2 do you feel like it's a challenge to then put it on a bigger scale to give action and set pieces on a bigger level than people have seen before? Because I've been lucky enough to see the first couple of episodes for season two and it is already telling me, look, this is on a bigger scale and the action and set pieces seem bigger and better. Yeah, there is that sort of that. I don't think even a pressure that there's the sense of you need to um, justify, you know, coming back. I mean, for me, it's it, it was about... I mean, part part of our sort of remit was like, oh, it's an action show, and Sky want there to be a certain level of 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 that, and and so we, you know, there is that sort of thing. You sit down, you're like, okay, well, what what set pieces can we do? What sequences can we do? Where can we go? Like, what new locations? What new characters? What can we do that we didn't do last time? And then you do all that with the you know the exact same budget. <laughs> so you try and get you know have to go slightly bigger. But um, for me, it was about just trying to expand the story as well. I think. You know, there's some big set pieces in it, but I think, it, oddly, compared to the first series, which was quite globe trotting, um, the the first one, the second one starts off like that, but it kind of almost condenses down towards the end, and it becomes this sort of quite sort of tight thriller. And there's definitely still, there's still like cars exploding and you know rocket launches and stuff like that. But yeah, it was about trying to uh, sort of expand the, the character dynamics as well. Um, uh, and yeah, but yeah, sort of just justify your justify the decision that you know the the trust that people have have put in you to 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 come back and and, and continue the story. And with your writing for this, with the and I never want to spoil stuff, so I'm not going to talk about certain scenes or characters. But season one and already part of season two has many moral dilemmas, and I feel like when you're writing, do you kind of put this in there to help and hope that audiences will then start talking because stuff like Lost uh, back in the day, even stuff like Twin Peaks, it was that one that you'd then go to college the next day or university 
and a group of people would be talking about their theories or what they can take from it and get people talking. And I feel like the Lazarus Project has kind of got that kind of element again to get people talking again. Yeah, well, I mean, you hope so. You always hope so. That that's the sort of the slightly un, un unknowable element, and that's the thing that I think everyone's chasing. Is is to is to be that sort of the, the water cooler show. I guess is the, is is a sort of cliche version of it. But you can never, you know, all you can do is 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 put the stuff out. And yeah, you, you come up with I, you know, characters or situations, or whatever that you you think, oh, this, you know, people will watch this and they want to sort of talk about it. But yeah, you can't, you can never predict what 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 show is going to take up that space. And there's so much telly at the moment. And there's so much uh, content to use a dirty word. There's so much stuff out there that to, to break through is, is, is tricky. So you just have to try your best. And, but you know, you know, you never know what show is going to sort of be that show. And in, in recent years, you've had the bear or succession or, you know, these, these shows that, that sort of cut through the, the noise and, and become the thing that everyone talks about. So yeah, you, I guess you just have to really, it's just about trying to make the the best thing you can. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just about quality. You know, you just try and make something that's really good and hope that people respond to it and talk about it. Anything else, you can end up being quite cynical in your creative decisions to try and get that conversation going. And I think audiences are quite savvy to that if it feels, um, slight, you know, inorganic. I've been looking at kind of the, the future for you and what's kind of penciled in. And I was wondering, do you ever sleep? Because at the moment you've got Black Doves, it's saying that's coming soon. Amadeus, our man from Jersey, and even the sequel to Cloverfield. I'm thinking, does this guy ever sleep? Have, has he got this magic potion that means he can write 24 hours a day? <laughs> I'm a, a very quick typer. <laughs> Just type really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really... It just seems like you're not stopping. Like this is amazing momentum, but the fact that you've got so much ahead, it must be amazing. It, yeah, it's it's great. I've you know it, it's it. I think I've always had like um, the sort of mentality that it, it it felt like such a difficult industry to get into, and then to to kind of get a foothold in that I've had that sort of fear of not getting you know, the next opportunity or, 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 you know, you just, I'm feeling like I have to say, say sort of, well, not just say yes to everything. Cause I do like all the things I do, but like there's definitely been, I've had the attitude over the last couple of years of like, okay, just keep, you know, get another job and, and do more and do more. I think I'm going to slightly try and slow down. Um, it's been, it's been great. I mean, I've been really loved all the things I've worked on and the opportunities, but yes, recently has been a bit of a crunch of my sort of schedule when you're sort of, you're, you're right, you know, and very different projects as well, which is always fun, but can be really, um, it can be a bit of a uh, bit of uh, a bit of, you know, if you're doing like a, a spy show and, a, and uh, I don't know, sort of period drama and a romantic comedy and a, you know, you, you, you've got this, your head is like this sort of food blender of different genres and ideas. So it, it could be quite, <laughs> yeah, quite confusing. You mentioned earlier that you started out when you were a kid wanting to be a director. Um, I wondered, do you think at any point you'll get behind the camera and not, you know, put the pen down and start looking at a career in getting into the world of directing, especially with the knowledge and the, the world you work within? It's something I definitely think about still. It's a very different, it's just, it's a very different skill set. It's a very different job. I mean, I, I, you know, there's like a, there's a cycle to it always is that I, I sort of forget about it and then I have something made and it's always around the post-production in the edit room. I was like, ah, oh, well, I could have, maybe I should have directed this. I should, you know, I should get in there and have my camera shots. And then, and then that will finish and then something new will start and I'll see 
I'll meet the director and I'll watch how they have to get up at like 5am every morning to drive to set or do night shoots or be stuck with, you know, in a room for hours, you know, with the actors trying to get it all right. And I just look at that and think, oh, I don't know, man, that's a lot of work. I'm going to take my pen and sit in the corner and just relax yeah. at 11am <laughs> yes. with my breakfast. Slink off to my writing <laughs> cave and sit there. Yeah. No, I would. But, you know, I like if there was something that I really, really felt that I like I should direct this this should be totally my thing then I would and I think I could probably convince people to let me maybe I don't know but I also love collaboration I love the directors I work with um you know Carl Tibbetts on the Lazarus Project Series 2 and 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 sort of um you know Marco Cruz Painter was on Series 1 and, and, and you know our second and third block directors I've been really lucky with the people I've worked with and it it, you know, writing can be quite a sort of lonely profession, but the good thing about getting stuff made is that you do then get to join this sort of team of hundreds of people all making stuff together. So um, it's not like I don't believe in like auteur theory and stuff like that, but I, I think it's it's nice to to be sort of part of something bigger. So I, I'm, I'm happy in my, my little writing cave at the moment, but but maybe one day. My podcast has had interviews with Anthony Hopkins, Mads Mikkelsen, Kevin Smith, all different people within the film industry, actors, producers, directors. But one question I love to ask everybody, and it doesn't matter which sector of the industry you work within, what advice do you give to anyone that's listening today that is a fan of your work, that wants to go down the road of being a writer or a screenwriter to try and get their work seen in a world that I think is very difficult to kind of stand above everyone else? Yeah, it is. I mean, that's that that's the great sort of challenge, I, I, I think, is, is, is getting your stuff in front of the right people. I mean, there's, I, I mean, you could talk for hours about what people should do and how they should try and break in. I mean, I feel like <clears throat> broadly speaking, I was like, break it down into there's two, there's two sort of sections that people need to think about, which is one is the, is the sort of um, admin of it. And the other is the creative. And obviously the, in, by the admin, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know, networking or getting stuff in front of, you know, trying to, trying to get an agent or trying to get a producer to read your work or trying to, you know, make something, you know, on, on, on your iPhone with the small team of people, whatever, you know, how do you, once you've made something, how do you get it out there? But I do think people tend to sort of focus on that a bit more than, than the creative side, which is, which is actually just becoming, um, the, the sort of best version of, of, of you in, in terms of you as a, as a writer or, or director, whatever you want to be and focusing on your, on your craft. I think lots of people are so sort of obsessed with the you know the, the 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 contacts and the and and just the sort of practicalities of it that they forget that the best thing you can do is make sure that your the you know the, your creative output is, is is as good as it can be and that was always my thing while you know while I was writing you know writing to agents to try and get representation or trying to get people to notice me was to constantly be writing all the time and it's a bit of a cliche to say but I definitely think you know the the thing that ultimately will get you noticed or get you success is being just really good at what you do and and I mean to you know, to be frank just better than other people if that doesn't sound too um, cynical but you know so I would say if you want to be a writer I, I, it would sound silly but I think a lot of people forget that they should be uh, constantly writing <laughs> and um, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, my final question for you today is that what I do with all guests that come on the podcast is you get to choose the last song that's played. So after our interview is all wrapped up and everyone can get their uh, hands on it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it goes out, the final piece of music that's played is chosen by you. So is there a song that you love that means a lot to you 
that after this interview's gone out, it comes to your heart and it's the first song that's played at the very end of the episode. Oh my God. <laughs> well, like, mind blanking on every song I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> so and we're really running out of time. No, all right, do you know what? Like I, 30 I, seconds. 30 seconds. I was listening to it the other day, actually, uh, a song called Beeswing by Richard Thompson, which I used to, I, I used to listen to with my, with my dad. And um, I love that song. I listened to that yesterday, so... Well, it's got it. some nostalgia and it's got some uh, reason with family and stuff. That's always a lovely reason to choose. So I think that's the one that definitely should come to your heart first. <laughs> definitely, man. Joe, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I hope our paths cross again in the future, especially with how busy you are. I'm sure they will. But good luck with the rest of the press. Good luck with the season two. And thank you so much for your time for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Mark. Nice to talk to you. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Joe Barton. What a lovely guy. So humble. I truly believe he's got an amazing career to date but an even bigger future ahead. Look at the stuff he's already done at such a young age. It's so inspiring and it really does prove how hard work can pay off. It's amazing to see the projects he's getting involved in. And just over the next few months and next few years, the stuff that he's talked about today that he's going to be getting his teeth stuck into, it blows my mind. He's a busy boy, but I wish him all the success. And what I do want to do on this podcast is get Joe back in the near future for a longer podcast. Sometimes with these press junkets, you get a certain allocated amount of time. And obviously we get as much out of that as we can, but he's definitely someone that I felt we could have benefited from another half an hour. So who knows, in the near future, hopefully our paths will cross and we can do an extended cut a longer version and a more in-depth interview with me and joe i just want to say now a massive thank you to everyone that's listened to today's episode if you're new to mark and me there's over 300 episodes available for you now on spotify amazon music podomatic apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcast i make sure i try and get on every directory possible to make it easier for you guys at home All I ask in return for this podcast, and it will always remain free, is to share it. I say it on every episode because it's crucial to the growth of Mark and me. I'm not a full-time podcaster, I can't do this each and every day, but I put my heart and soul into each and every episode, and to do that, I really need you guys to share it. It doesn't cost you guys anything, it's literally the click of a button, maybe a retweet, a share on Facebook or on your Instagram just to hit that little heart button. It goes a long way, gets more people seeing it and before you know it the fan base grows and grows thanks to you guys at home. It's only been up just over a month now but I also have launched Mark and Me TV. This is my official YouTube channel where people now get to see some of these interviews on there as a video format. I've had so many people asking for years, please get them on YouTube. I kept putting it off. I got nervous. I didn't really want to do it. But do you know what? I'm absolutely loving it. I feel confident. I'm The response to my interviews with Peter Doherty have gone insane. Almost 5,000 plays in less than a week, which is just insane. Also, I've got Biffy Clyro on there, Manchester Orchestra, Neil Blomkamp, Alex Winter. I truly believe there's something for everyone. So if you just go onto YouTube and search Mark and Me Podcast, you can see the channel, hit the subscribe button, watch some of the interviews, give them a thumbs up, and honestly, it goes a long way. Also, I do have a Patreon page. It's a real important page to help support the podcast. No profit is made on this podcast. It all goes right back into the making, production and getting these episodes out for you guys at home. So for as little as £1 a month, there's a link on markandme.com. You can sign up to my Patreon and on there I give you a welcome pack including stickers and badges. Each and every month you get an exclusive episode called The Lost Tapes. You get a monthly newsletter and so much more. 
And finally, just before I say goodbye, I want to give a big shout out to Richer Sounds. They're the main sponsor of the Market Me podcast. If you're in the market for a home cinema, TV, Sonos system or something cool for your house, why not go on richersounds.com and also Folio Society. Easily my favourite book company. They get loads of money out of me each and every month because I adore them. But if you're out there to try and treat yourself or someone else with a brand new book, foliosociety.com has all the stuff you need. It's beautiful. And I just want to say now a massive thank you to everyone that takes the time again to listen to this podcast, everyone that tunes in on YouTube, everyone that likes this podcast, supports it, shares it. It all means the absolute world to me. It's going to be so busy over the next few weeks. Honestly, it's getting to the point where I might give you a podcast each and every day for a couple of weeks to play catch up. I'm not exaggerating. It's that busy, but I'm loving every minute of it. So until the next episode drops, please look after yourself. Take care and I'll speak to you all very soon. I was 19 when I came to town They called it the summer of love They were burning babies, burning flags The hawks against the doves I took a job in the steaming Down on Cardrum Street And I fell in love with a laundry girl Who was working next to me Well, she was a rare thing Fine as a bee's wing so fine a breath of wind might blow her away She was a lost child Well, she was running wild She said, as long as there's no price on love, I'll stay And you wouldn't want me any other way Zigzag around her face A look of half surprise Like a fox caught in the headlights There was animal in her eyes She said, young man, oh can't you see I'm not the factory kind If you don't take me out of here I'll surely lose my mind well, She was a rare thing Fine as a bee's wing so fine that I might crush her when she lay She was a lost child She was running wild She said as long as there's no price on love I'll stay And you wouldn't want me any other way She said, oh man, you foolish man, 
Sure, it sounds like hell. You may be lord of half the world. You're not only as well. Oh, she was a rare thing. Fine as a bee's wing. Fine a breath of wind might blow her away. She was a lost child. Oh, she was running wild. She said, as long as there's no price on love, I'll stay. You wouldn't want me any other way We was camping down the gower one time The work was pretty good She thought we shouldn't wait for the first And I thought maybe we should We was drinking more in those days And tempers reached a pitch And like a fool I let her run with the She's sleeping rough Back on the derby beat White horse in her hip pocket And a wolf found at her feet And they say she even married once A man named Romany Brown But even a gypsy caravan Was too much settling down And they say her flower is faded now Hard weather and hard booze But maybe that's just the price you pay for the chains you refuse Oh, she was a rare thing Fine as a bee's wing But I miss her more than ever words could say If I could just taste All of her wildness now If I could hold her in my arms today Well, I wouldn't want her any 